Hey there, it's Michelle Pilpich. I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and your host of this podcast, Simply Intuitive. On the show, we are talking about all things intuitive eating, active living, and breaking down what's true versus what's a myth in the wellness world so that you can focus on simple and sustainable ways to actually improve your health. If you're feeling overwhelmed by all of the health information floating around and you just want to know what to do to feel your best, you're in the right place. Not only are specific tips coming your way, but you can also count on conversations that will challenge your perspective on what health really means. So I hope you'll stick around for many episodes to come, but for now, let's get into today's show. Okay, I am here with Aliza today. Hi, Aliza, how are you? Hi, Michelle. I'm good. And how are you? I'm excited to see you and to be chatting with you. I'm very excited to show up here today and, and to have this very valuable conversation. So thank you for having me. Thank you for joining as the expert um, on OCD. We're going to talk about OCD and eating disorders. This is a topic I had a couple of requests about from clients, people on Instagram, I don't even remember because it's been in my mind for so long and we are here now, um, which is very exciting. But before we dive into all of that, I want you to just share about you because I am endlessly inspired by you. I think I tell you every time we talk, I'm like, you're just such a great presence, so wise, so insightful, always have great things to say. I love you. My dog loves you. your dog. I kind of want to adopt it. So (laughs) (laughs) you need a little Cody of your own. Um, So before we dive into all the official stuff, can you share about who you are, what you do and how you got started as a therapist? Of course. And I'm ever inspired by you too, Michelle. I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing in the, in the health and, you know, nutrition space. I think there's such an overlap between mind and body So people that focus more on body who can incorporate the work of the mind and the heart is always such a valuable thing. And and we need more of you in the world. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, Yeah, and I'd be happy to share about me. So I'm a therapist in New York City. I have a practice actually like across a couple different states, um, primarily New York, Florida, and California. And we help people with anxiety and related disorders. And then also kind of just like everything else in life. But anxiety, OCD, related disorders are really our specialty and kind of like my my passion project in this world because I do think that so many of us are struggling with anxiety and some of us know it, some of us think it, but don't really fully know it. Um, some of us just don't even have a clue. But a lot of what happens in our internal workings is that we're operating from a place of fear, we're operating from a place of control, a place of not being able to accept uncertainty And that can color a lot of our actions, our thoughts, and our emotional processes, right? And certainly in the ways that we eat. So I'm excited to have the conversation about, you know, OCD and eating and exercise and all the good things we're going to dive into today. Mm -hmm. And in terms of how I got started here as a therapist, um, like longer conversation, but I think I've always just been like a very big feeler, a very big people person. I definitely had, you know, struggles of my own with anxiety unbeknownst to me, I would say, for, for many years of my, like, teenage and young adult life. And being able to be in a space where I can address it 
and I can help other people through it with normalizing it, destigmatizing it, and hopefully being, you know, effective and productive and creating change in their lives is really, it's what lights my heart on fire. So that's, that's where I come from. And that's, and that's what I do. Thank you for sharing all that. The, um, the condition that obviously I mentioned before we want to dive into and get your expert take on is OCD specifically. And so before talking about that related to food, I would love to get your definition as well as your opinion on how that phrase is used because it is so common in just colloquial language for people to say, oh my God, she's so OCD for like being organized. And I personally think it's problematic. Um, So I would love your take on like just how people throw around these words related to any mental health condition really and what it really means for people to be aware of. Totally. And I, it's so interesting um, because let's say somebody was diagnosed with diabetes, right? You wouldn't throw it around saying like, oh my God, she's so diabetic. Right. That's, like, what? <laughs> That's so like, true. Who would say that? That's a horrible thing to say. And people right. do, people do that, right? It's like, she's so OCD or oh my God, they're so bipolar. And it's like, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. this is a true mental health condition that they didn't this person didn't ask for and they're struggling with and hopefully seeking help for. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's become like colloquial is, is really, is really problematic. It's really invalidating. Um, and it also really diminishes the intensity and the severity of what people feel. Right. And I have patients who, you know, really struggle with OCD and really struggle with like people who have never had OCD and, you know, they're lucky in the sense that they never that they don't know that this is something that can take up literally eight hours of somebody's day or more. And it can stop them from working. It can stop them from sleeping. It can stop them from eating. It can stop them from being in relationships. Um, and it is so, it's like a, it's a really, really, really challenging thing to face um, in somebody's like head and in their heart and in their actions. So yeah, I think we got to cut that out uh, in terms of just kind of throwing around this language. If somebody likes to organize their closet by color, it doesn't make them OCD. It doesn't give them that diagnosis. And it's it's just, again, it's invalidating to the people that are actually going through it. And it also boils it down to just one potential sy- symptom. And I'm kind of assuming there with the OCD piece, but thinking about how people will say, oh, so-and-so looks anorexic. And then they make this diagnosis of anorexia all about weight. And yes, it can, like, sure, that can be related. There's also atypical anorexia, which is a label I disagree with, but that's a whole other point. But it it minimizes things. It takes away from the holistic picture. Yeah, for sure. It really does. And an OCD is complex. Like there are very many different subtypes of OCD um, that people don't even realize. You know, there's there's moral OCD. There's religious OCD. There's wow. relationship OCD. You know, it's, it's not just fear of contamination or cleanliness or order or symmetry, mm-hmm. which are, I think, the most commonly known ones. Um, but OCD can creep into every single aspect of life. And I think that that's part of what you're saying. Like people don't realize that. And, and to simplify it by saying, oh, she loves to wash her hands. That's really invalidating to the person and to the diagnosis as a whole. 
Right. Okay. So now hopefully people are thinking, okay, well, maybe I don't really know what this really means. So can you give us that answer? What is the actual definition? Sure. So OCD is um, a diagnosis with two primary components. There's the obsessions, which is the thoughts, right? So somebody will have like a repetitive, intrusive, distressing thought that as much as they try to push it away, keeps coming back and usually with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. And again, that can be related to pretty much anything. There are people who have sexual orientation, OCD, right? There are people who have, um, there, there are some taboo topics that, you know, are harder to talk about if somebody doesn't have the awareness of what OCD is all about. But essentially it's, um, it's a thought that kind of keeps coming back into your brain that is very distressing and very intrusive that doesn't stop and it's relentless. And the so is that and can I kind of clarify here? Is that different than just well, not just, but is that different than intrusive thoughts? You know, if somebody thinks, well, oh, I've had intrusive thoughts, and I feel like that's kind of more commonly talked about. Again, just casually, people saying like, oh, yeah, people joke about it on TikTok or whatever. So, does intrusive thoughts always mean obsession? Well, Michelle, we all have intrusive thoughts. Right? Like you can have an intrusive thought. Wow, look at that window. What if I would just jump out of it? That's an intrusive thought. I can have that thought. You can have that thought. Your mom can have that thought. And and not put any um, importance to that thought. Just kind of let it like wash away. Like, oh, that was weird. Maybe like shudder a little bit, right? And then get back to your day. Somebody with OCD will have an intrusive thought like that. And it'll really take over. Um, Or it will amplify or it will keep coming back. And it's almost like that thought gets stuck. Mm -hmm. And then what's paired with that thought is a compulsion, right? So that's the second part of OCD, where there is a behavior or kind of like a reparative thought to get rid of the anxiety that's related to the obsession. So it's like somebody has this intrusive thought and then they have to do something to get rid of it, which is where the compulsions fall into the picture. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so can the compulsions be behavior or mental? Exactly. Most people know the compulsions as as the behavior, um, right? So I don't want to get sick, so I'm going to wash my hands. Right. Right. Or I don't want to be unsafe or I don't want my family to be unsafe, so I'm going to tap this table three times because three is my safety number. I'm going to check the locks eight times and I'm going to do it again if I have another thought, right? Because that's what my brain is telling me I need to do. So that's the behavior, but sometimes people also have it in thoughts. Mm-hmm. And the thoughts can be, I need to undo that thought with another thought, right? Or I need to undo that thought with a different kind of um, more cognitive compulsion. Right. That sounds like it can be extremely all-consuming. Yes, that's exactly what it is. All-consuming and very debilitating if somebody doesn't know how to how to deal with it. And I I would love for you to kind of speak a bit more to that, like the level of distress because I can imagine people hearing you speak and self-diagnosing. So (laughs) what would you say to that of like, what is common and what is, okay, yeah, maybe seek support for this? For sure. So I I always tell people as a general rule with mental health, if it's getting in the way of your life or if it's getting in the way of your quality of life, which means your happiness, your ability to be present, your ability to be in relationships or kind of get through your routine in a in a normal way, talk to somebody, right? And a therapist can help you 
discern, is this regular? Is this a part of everyday living? Or is this something that we can actually support you with and help you through? So that's like, I think that's like the, the party line for anything related to mental health, right? Sadness is normal. Depression, we can help you with. Um, having a fearful thought or anxiety is normal, but generalized anxiety that kind of creeps into your day in ways that doesn't allow you to be present or happy, let, let us help you with that. And same for OCD. Intrusive thoughts, normal. Intrusive thoughts that are relentless, distressing, disturbing, that take up more time in your day or that are paired with a behavior that stops you from living the way you want to live, probably you can seek support with that. I love that guidance. And that's very similar to how I think about food and relationships with food. I don't even really care if someone has an eating disorder diagnosis. If you are thinking about food more than you want to, then great. Let's talk and help you through it. You know, I think that that line of like, how much is it impacting your life and how much do you want it to be is a great um, parameter to think about. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So let's dive into the food. Um, how do you see OCD impacting people's relationships with food? So I work with a lot of people who do have comorbid disordered eating and OCD. I'm going to throw another wrench in here. There's yeah. also another element of OCD that's like the sister of OCD, which is OCPD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is different than OCD on its own. And OCD, OCPD can be almost even like more pervasive, which is hard to believe. Um, but OCPD is really related to somebody having a lot of difficulty with a general feeling of not having control, a general discomfort um, with not being set in their ways and not having the rigidity and not having the routine exactly as they feel like it should be. And OCPD is something that actually can, can be really closely related to disordered eating. It could be as extreme as somebody only feeling like they can eat certain colors of food. So this is something I've seen a lot of, right? People who are like, I can only eat green foods. Or I can only eat white foods. And then it could be as like, like almost like indiscernible as people that really struggle if they haven't eaten exactly at 1230 or the feeling of discomfort that comes up if they had like 50 calories more than they had expected to have that day, right? Um, and the feeling of like, it just, it's not perfect. It's not exactly right. And food is something that's like such a part of our daily routine, like we literally needed to survive. <laughs> and so if you have an unhealthy relationship with things that are just kind of more fluid in life, like eating and like food, it can be really, really difficult to have a healthy relationship with it. So I just wanted to throw that out there as well, because there are people listening that might say, listen, I don't have OCD, but I also know that I'm kind of particular and I'm a little perfectionistic and not having things exactly as they are is really hard for me. And I've been told that I've been rigid, but I don't think I'm rigid. I just think this is the way everybody should be right? That have a lot of difficulties with food as well. So that makes so much sense because probably the number one thing that clients talk to me about in terms of why they have these rules about food is the feeling of control and wanting to be in control and not liking being out of control. And I mean, yeah, the time-based rules about I'm hungry, but dinner's not until seven o'clock and it has to be every day. And, you know, I love to do the education on the 
the science of the body and how like, yes, it's precise, but also everything exists in a range. Everything is flexible. Nothing is super exact with calories, with weight, with any of these numbers that people typically want to be exact when they do struggle in that way. So, I mean, this is so, so, so common. Yeah, exactly. And also your body is happening without your conscious mind realizing every single thing that's going on. You're burning calories in ways that you don't realize and you're conserving calories in ways that you don't realize. And your body is metabolizing certain kinds of food faster and certain kinds of food it's barely metabolizing at all. So people are taking a very emotional experience, right? Uh, I want certainty. I want control. I want routine. And they're kind of like converting that emotional experience to something that's actually a lot more physical, Right. right? Like the way the body is just metabolizing food and is intuitively telling you what it needs and what it doesn't need. So when you're, when you're only listening to your emotional responses about something that's way bigger than that, it can become super problematic and dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things to tell my clients is that when I was in grad school and we were taking tests that would require us to give um, calorie ranges for a particular example client, like we had to estimate their energy needs. We always had to give our answer in a 500 calorie range. And if we didn't give a range, if we gave an exact number, it was wrong on the test because that just does not exist. (laughs) So good. That's so, so good and so real and so true. And I'm going to give one more um, like mental health standpoint, and then we'll get back to the, to the OCD and the eating disorder stuff. Um, But trauma is another thing that can really impact food and this feeling of control as well. So for people that grew up in pervasively traumatic environments, whether that's big T with like, um, you know, a, a true form trauma in terms of sexual violence or death or something of that nature, or what we call little T trauma, right? Like just feeling pretty consistently invalidated or bullied or feeling neglected as a child, right? People will turn to the one thing that they have control over Many kids don't have control over much, but food they do, right? Parents are not going to plug their nose and like shove food in their mouth typically. And there's also like, you can be sneaky. And that feeling of like finally having control and everything around your world feels so uncontrollable, especially as a child, becomes a pattern that sticks with us. And then as adults, we just keep repeating that pattern until somebody gets in there and says, hey, Michelle, hey, Lisa, like, is that pattern working for you? Or is this something that you developed as a kid that you think you need to keep maintaining, but you don't anymore? So that's just like the other mental health component that might be showing up for people who have, again, the range of disordered eating, whether or not it's like a full-blown eating disorder or just like, this is on my mind so much and I don't know what to do about it. Right. I you read my mind. I was going to ask you exactly that kind of why people go to food for control. And it is that one thing. And especially um, as people get to college and have that independence for the first time. And then it's like, oh, now I really get to do whatever I want. And then early adulthood, it just can, can be so all consuming again and, and really mess with things. And I always kind of flip the script on it. Like you're going to food for control, but then when you reflect on how much brain space it takes up, the food is controlling you or the thoughts, the obsessions, whatever it is based on whatever, in whatever way it's exactly manifesting for you. So very well said. Yeah, that's exactly right. So can you maybe give some 
examples of kind of, I know you mentioned some with like colors of food and, and I think those move along the spectrum towards more rigidity, rigidity, but what are some of maybe the most common ways you see, and I'm, mm-hmm. I, mean, I see as well, we see yeah. people being rigid with food and from the like treatment of OCD perspective, how do you help people through that? Okay. So I'm going to answer the second question first. Okay. So I think that the bottom line with OCD, with a lot of people struggling with OCD, what we call actually the focus of apprehension, right? The OCD is never about what you see at the surface. You got to boil it down and ask like, what is really, what is really like hard about this concept for you? So that's called somebody's focus of apprehension, right? The hand washing is never about the hand washing. It's about, I don't want to get sick because I don't want to die, or I don't want to get sick and contaminate somebody else because I don't want them to die. Um, And typically when we boil it down to the, like, to the the most, um, the deepest and the purest form, with OCD, people struggle with this feeling of, I don't have control, okay? I don't have certainty about how how a story is going to go or how the future is going to play out. And it's super hard for me to be imperfect. I don't want to be, I don't want to be human. I don't want to be imperfect. I want to be anything but that. So when I talk to people about their OCD or their OCPD, I ask them as we go through and we kind of try to get to the bottom of their focus of apprehension, like, are any of those, the storyline in your brain? Almost always the answer is yes. One of the three. And so then let's translate that to food, right? Like I want to have control. I want to have certainty or I want to have perfection. And I think that the way, the most common ways that I see it playing out, um, first of all, is with people choosing like perfectly healthy foods, right? So staying away from anything that can be perceived as a carb or a sugar and staying very, very, very rigidly on like the clean foods, Right. And then that can become compulsive and that, and and instead of it becoming like, Hey, this feels good for my body. And I want to put clean fuel in my body. It becomes the world is going to end if there is. And I, I want to note that, yeah, in, in this work from the nutrition end, and I mean, I think it's so important for us to be a tag team. And, and I, I know you believe in that too, which is amazing. It is important to be physically healthy. Like that is something that is positive and valuable. And it just takes breaking these rules, working on, you know, what is unhealthy mentally and holistically about them before getting to the point where I'm able to educate my clients on the actual facts and science of nutrition and how to prioritize health without it taking over your whole life. So there's a lot of nuance there. That's exactly right. And (laughs) so that that's like one of them, right? The healthy foods and kind of the feeling that the world is going to end if they have something that deviates from that. Um, A lot of it has to do with looks. If I gain any weight, my body is not going to be perfect. And if my body is not perfect, I will feel unworthy. I will feel like I cannot love myself or the world will not love me. Um, And also I want to control my urges, right? So if I can gain control over my urges to never want sugar again, or to never have um, even a natural sugar again, then I win. And then I somehow feel like I have a sense of control over the world when, like you said very eloquently, it's really the food that's controlling you. So I think that anything that kind of falls into that framework, whether or not it's specifically with like 
purely healthy foods, whether it's a very stringent schedule and routine around food, whether it's completely shutting up food groups and it feeling like a crisis if they are ever even slowly reintroduced um, into somebody's daily eating habits. And then that like feeling of crisis attached to it, those are really common ways in terms of the behaviors. And then in terms of the thoughts, like you said before, if it's like consuming your brain, if it's something that's kind of sitting with you all day long and all night long, um, and you're over prepping for meals and you're overthinking after meals, counting your calories, recounting how you feel, doing a lot of checking behaviors around that, that's that can certainly be a part of this as well. Absolutely. And for the sake of really hammering home a point here, have yeah. you ever seen someone make all of their, their meals perfect in quotes? make their body perfect in quotes, stop craving sugar and actually solve all their problems through those measures. Right. So like, that's such a good question as you were asking. And I'm like, the real question is, has anybody done that and been happy? Right. 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 Because with eating disorders and disordered eating and with OCD and OCPD, the belief is that if I do it exactly right, I'm going to be happy. Yeah. It's going to feel right in the world everything will be okay. If I only had this, then that. And it's like, people need to recognize that that feeling is a total moving target. And that's the defining factor of something being dysfunctional. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you think you're going to have a perfect meal there. And then another thought's going to pop up into your head. That's going to say, well, maybe a carrot is more carby than it should be. Goodbye. No more carrots. Right. And it's like, yeah, all of a sudden it's like, I'm unhappy again. I'm unhappy Mm -hmm. again. If I just gain, you know, if I lose one more pound, then that's going to be the moving target line. Like it doesn't actually bring people the feeling that it, that they hope it will. And no, I have never seen somebody actually solve their life problem through a perfect meal plan. Exactly. Exactly. The, the expectation and goal is always changing and food wise, the rules are always changing. You know, however many years ago there was an influencer only eating bananas. And now people think bananas have too much sugar and like you just can never win with following rules. Yeah, exactly. It is wild. So pivoting a little bit towards exercise because food and exercise are so intertwined, health and mental health and exercise are intertwined. And it's a piece of recovery that... I see as often missing from the treatment space. And so it's something that I love to work on with clients. And I do work on with a lot of clients, helping them get that healthy relationship with movement as they're also improving their relationship with food. And a lot of this rigidity and control and these patterns we're talking about do manifest in exercise as well. So do you see that pop up? And what is your take on obsessive and rigid um, relationships with exercise and how that is created by negative mental health. Yeah, it's such a good question too. And it's something that we talk about a lot in our practice. Mm-hmm. I think a good question for food and for exercise to start out is by asking like, is this for my health, right? Like, am I doing this to build my health or am I doing this to reduce a calorie? Right. Right. And that's like a very big difference. And and exercise can very quickly turn into something dysfunctional too. Mm-hmm. I've had people, I've worked with people who are consuming four to 500 calories a day who are going to two soul cycle classes, right? Or two classes on Peloton. And I'm like, 
you are burning way more than your body can hold and you're doing it on purpose. Your brain is doing it on purpose. Your eating disorder is doing it on purpose. Um, and like, let's not let the eating disorder like be smarter than you. Cause it's saying, well, I need this to be healthy. I need this to feel in control. I need this to be okay. And it's like, no, you actually are going to be less okay if this is the road that we keep going down. But again, it's not something like, for example, like somebody who's struggling with an addiction. We don't go cold turkey. We can't go cold turkey with exercise. We can't go cold turkey with like a specific food that's going to heal you. So we have to really be mindful and we have to hold a dialectic of exercise can be the most healthy thing for me, but it can also very quickly turn dysfunctional the same way my eating habits can. Right. I think that's what makes healing these relationships so hard is because they are so necessary. And, you know, even that question of, is this for health? The question that I start with is what does health mean? And many people, when they see me for the first time, they will say eating well and exercising Mm -hmm. as the sole definition there. And so, you know, it even gets twisted into, well, yeah, the soul cycle doubleheader is for health, but we need to work on, well, what actually is your definition of health and is that serving you? And how can we reframe that? So I would actually love to hear from you, Aliza, what is your definition of health? I think health actually starts before the food and before the exercise, because again, somebody can use both of those things and and be the opposite of healthy. I think health starts with a mindset that is based in our values and is based in self-love and the duty to protect your body, right? The duty to take care of your body, um, knowing that it is a vessel through which you walk through life and you are the only one that has the capacity to fully take care of it. And it's either going to be the vessel that propels you through life or it's going to be something that is deteriorating and doesn't give you energy to live as fully as you want to live. Does that make sense? 1000%. That's the soundbite. I told you I was going to be inspired today. I love that. <laughs> yes, I agree. So I think that if if that's the foundation of how you view your body, then that becomes everything else follows suit, right? Like your eating follows suit, your exercise follows suit. Everything kind of comes after that in a very healthy way. It's like your value is your compass and then everything else kind of falls in the same direction and you're not left grappling with, well, what's right, what's wrong, what's functional, what's dysfunctional. This is either fueling my body as a vessel for me to propel myself through life in all the best ways, or this is something that actually stops my body from being able to live as fully as I want to be living. Amazing. I've heard from various extremist health influencers, the phrase, everything you put into your body is uh, like creating disease or destroying disease. And that is so extreme. So for anyone who has heard that and is living by that, I think your example that you just gave us is so much better. Like, is this action allowing me to live the life I want or not? Yeah. And that's a very deep question too, because Mm-hmm. you know, we live, we, we hold two truths. We hold the, the need to live in this moment, right, Michelle? And like, we also hold the need to have healthy bodies to live for the future. Right. So it's like, it's a complicated question because we always have to be 
we always have to be making choices based on both of those two things, right? So if you're like, well, for right now, feeling good means drinking Diet Coke and like having bagels every day. (laughs) That's it. No greens for me. Mm -hmm. That's going to make you feel pleasure in this moment, but it's not going to let you, it's not going to fuel your life for as long as it can be fueled. Right. Right. It is a balance. It is a balance. But if you're so strictly kind of consumed in this, it's either creating a disease or destroying a disease, you will never be able to be present. You will never be able to be in the moment. That seems, that seems hella complicated. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So if someone is listening and realizing, okay, yes, I am pretty rigid. I'm leaning towards that desire for control, but everything you're talking about as healthy sounds so much better. And I want that. What is the treatment you recommend? What are the steps to really healing from this? Great question. I think the, the first and the most important message that I would want to share with people is that you can have the happiness, you can have the beauty, and you can have the quote unquote control that you want to feel in your life without any of the vo- without any of like the voices in your head that are telling you this is the only path to get there. You want to look good and be beautiful? You can. You want to feel like you're grounded and have a sense of like stabilization and control over the parts of your life that we can control? You can. You know, you you want to feel healthy and know that you're like fueling your body with good like energizing, beautiful things that work for your personal biochemistry, you can. You can have all those things. It is possible. And it is something that your therapist and your dietitian are going to help you get there, right? Like the goal of doing this work is not to say, throw it all out, be fine, be overweight. Like that's not the goal of any of this work. So you can have all the things that you want. And that's number one, like giving that psychoeducation and really like, that's why I love your story so much because you're like eating, you're eating the the carbs and you're eating the bagel, but then you're going on like a five mile run. And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> we know people that you can go on the run and you can and do all the things. And yes. then in terms of like, so that's like the psychoeducation piece. And then in terms of the practicality, I think there's like different forms of therapy dependent, like based on where you're at in terms of the level of severity of what you're going through. If it's more about body image, then you want to work on your self-esteem and confidence and like this need for control that you're not getting somewhere in your life. It's about trauma. You got to do the trauma work. If it's about OCD or OCPD, then there's exposure therapy that will help you feel bigger than the fears. It will help you feel stronger than the rigid rules in your head. And it will help you do that. Um, in a way that's not just surface level, but is actually very deep and can get to the heart of the matter. Amazing. And if people are listening and they love hearing from you and they want to work with your practice, what are the ways to do so? Uh, We would love to support you. We are here for you. Um, I can be reached. So our website is therapyinthecity.org. Our email address is info at therapyinthecity.org. All pretty basic. They can find me on Instagram and send me a DM. Um, I'm therapist in NYC. And uh, my personal email that I'm happy to drop here as well is aliza at therapyinthecity.org. And anybody can feel free to reach out. And I'm just so grateful that we have the space to have a conversation that's as valuable as this. So thank you, Michelle. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Did we miss anything? Any last bits you want to share with people? Um, before we sign off, I feel like this was an amazing, insightful, com- I was going to say conversation. It was a conversation, but like insightful yeah. from you. 
a conversation and I think it's a conversation we should all be having. And I think that the one thing I would leave off this off with is encouraging people to think about their relationship with food. You don't have to have an eating disorder to be able to recognize that sometimes food is taking control over you when it really shouldn't be that way. And that you can have a healthy relationship with food. You can have a healthy relationship with the present moment. You can have a healthy relationship with your body. You can go to dinner and it could be a joyful experience. So I just encourage people to listen to their bodies and their minds and their hearts and to have the courage. Um, if there are any parts of that, you know, that aren't necessarily aligned with their values to take the necessary steps to create the change in their own worlds that they deserve. I love that. And I, this is reminding me, I just posted a, another episode that was a recap about this nutrition conference I went to, and I went to a lot of eating disorder sessions and sometimes I, I wonder if people take that phrase of relationship with food as like, ah, eh, that's kind of wonky, kind of out there. Um, and this might sound kind of weird, but I just thought it was so insightful. One of the speakers mentioned in terms of a disordered relationship with food, if you are looking to food or control of food, uh, well, let me back up first. She said, every relationship needs boundaries. And yes. if you're going to food to solve everything, you are crossing food's boundary. And Ooh, I was like, whoa, so that's good. So Ooh. yeah, think about that relationship with food, the rigidity, the boundaries, all of it. And it doesn't have to be that way. So mm-hmm. I am here for you. Aliza is here for you. Your whole practice is here for everyone. Thank you so much for coming on. I will link everything so that people can reach you. They can find all your links and details in the show notes. And I appreciate you being here. Oh, my pleasure, Michelle. It's so good speaking. We'll talk soon. And there you have it. That is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it and had some good takeaways. If you did, I would love to hear what's resonating for you. Send me a DM on Instagram or share the episode to your stories and tag me so that I can see that you're listening and hopefully loving it. You can also share this episode with a friend who you think would enjoy it and spread some intuitive eating love to everyone around you. As always, five-star ratings and reviews are so appreciated, so you can drop me one of those. Be sure to also check out the show notes for all the links that I mentioned and more information on myself and my nutrition private practice. Other than all that, I hope you have a great day and a great week, and I will catch you in the next episode.